Welcome to Millennial 704. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. I'm Pamela. Rabbit Rabbit and Micah is actually back this week. He was just on last week, but then after we finished recording last week's episode, he was like, darn, the two (laughs) things I actually prepared for, we ended up cutting from the discussion. And then we felt bad. So we invited Micah back so he can get his thoughts out there. Wow, what an intro. Well, well, I'm just telling everybody like... what happened. <laughs> Hopefully that was true what I said too. And I didn't just make that up. And now I had to go back and prepare something totally different. Oh, you no, motherfucker. It, it is true. It is true. Yeah. One was on student loans. The other was on politics. So hmm. I'm telling the truth. Yeah. So we have to get to them today or else- Micah will be back next week, which isn't a problem, of course, but this is the reason why we're having him on so soon after last week. So we wanted to kick off today's episode. We're recording on uh, February 1st, and it is officially Black History Month. And I just thought we could kick it off by celebrating the fact that Stacey Abrams, um, my like life idol, um, has received a Nobel Peace Prize a nomination for her fight um, for equality in the eyes of the law and for civil rights. So that's amazing. Stacey, it's much deserved. There are some other people who also got nam- nominated um, and those nominations are questionable, but we're mm-hmm. just not even going to go there. Um, this is Stacey's time to shine. And quite frankly, we need 50 more of her <laughs> to help get us yeah. through these next probably decade Mm -hmm. of turmoil. You could argue she is bringing a lot of peace to this country over the next couple of years. Yes. (laughs) Thanks to her work. I know. Very much deserved. Also, this past week, we we have to mention this because everybody's talking about it. What the hell went on in the stock market? GameStop, AMC, and other stocks blew up. Uh, Everybody suddenly had a big interest in stocks and trading them because of how much money was on the line. I've listened to multiple podcasts about this at this point with experts, and even experts really can't explain (laughs) it super well. But Laura's going to attempt to now, at least some of the basics. Right. So like nobody really knows how to accurately explain this, and we're going to further bastardize the conversation that's going on. Um, But I think that we can approach this as more of like a high level sort of Mm -hmm. like gloss over of what happened and then sort of how it impacted us. Um, So to understand what happened, I think there are two terms that everyone should be familiar with. The first one is a hedge fund, probably something we've all heard of before. Um, But just to make sure we're giving it a definition, it's a limited partnership of investors that uses high risk methods, such as investing with borrowed money, keynote there, in the hopes Mm. of realizing large capital gains. And then the other term is a short. When you borrow a stock from a broker and sell it immediately at its current price, with the hope that the stock's price drops so you can buy it back at a lower Mm. cost and therefore make a profit. So you're borrowing money from somebody in the hopes of buying and then selling something to then make a profit off of it. So that you can earn your profit, but then also pay mm-hmm. your broker back. Okay. You're doing a good job. I don't get it, but you're <laughs> you doing a good it. job, Great I think. Job. Um, yeah. It's t- fine, though. Keep going. Well, I'm really glad for your financial <laughs> you're expertise. You're the one. <laughs> Micah, you're in New York. I, I feel like you should be able... You're like close to Wall Street, <laughs> closer <laughs> well, than any of and us. And not only that... So I correct got, me if I'm wrong. I got a little bit scared, too, because when I saw this in the document, I, I was thinking to myself, the real reason you want me on is because I have a master's in economics. Oh, you do? I yes, don't even think I knew does. that. You knew that. <laughs> wow. But Laura, please <laughs> continue. You're doing a great job. 
Well, no, I now I feel like an asshole because we have the master of science of economics on the call. But basically what happened with this is a few weeks ago, um, a Redditor on the subreddit Wall Street Bets noticed that a hedge fund had taken a massive amount of short trades against GameStop. And basically when you do that, you're betting that that company is going to go under. And in doing so, you can potentially hasten their fate. Um, This is something that has been going on with GameStop for a while. Mm -hmm. They've not had a very successful business model as of late. And many of their critics um, are criticizing them, rightly so, because they refuse to adapt their business model Mm -hmm. for today's standards. Right. For anybody who doesn't know, briefly, they buy and sell physical games. Yes. The video game industry is moving to digital. So... Of course, they're not going to be doing well right now. And just like Mark worked at GameStop for a while, they're horrible to their employees. <laughs> and like, mm. they're just, they, they're very, very cheap. And it's like, everything is like lowest possible investment for the highest possible return. They're not a great company, but the people of Reddit were like, yeah, we hate GameStop and we want them <laughs> to go down, but not like this. We want them to go down on their own merits. So people on Reddit convinced each other in a thread to join forces and buy as much GameStop stock as possible. This caused the price to rise and the hedge fund's short position started to lose billions of dollars. And in the end, their losses actually surpassed the $13.1 billion that the hedge fund in question was worth. And eventually they had to close their short positions and buy all of that GameStop stock back at a much, much higher price, which made the price of the stock even higher still. That's why a couple of months ago, if you looked on Robinhood or whatever investing app you might have, you would see that GameStop stocks were worth about $14 each. And at the height of all this insanity last week, they were like four and five hundred dollars a piece. So people who right. bought GameStop stock for like six dollars ten years ago are fucking loaded now. Mm. Oh, millionaires! Yeah, legit millionaires mm-hmm. at this point. Laura, I also have to applaud you because not once, so far at least, you have not said Game Stock. You have said GameStop stock. Well done. <laughs> you know well what? I I had to practice. That because I've kept fucking that up. Like every time I talk about this with someone like at work or whatever, I keep calling it game stock. And then I'm like, oh, God. Yeah. Um, Easy so mistake. It's required a lot of practice. So thank you. So I have a couple of thoughts on this. First of all, another part of this story a lot of people have been trading with Robinhood. This is a very popular stock trading app. I enjoy it. I, I use it. Um, they've been a sponsor on the show. They have a great app, super easy to use, very fast and responsive. And it makes it very easy to check in on your stock investments, unlike other apps like uh, Stash. So they've been under fire because they started limiting trading, which is such bullshit. Now, they've come up with various excuses, but it's such bullshit because Robinhood's whole thing was, we're going to give power to the little guy. We're going to let the little guys trade. And then, of course... As soon as the big guys start suffering, Robinhood basically helps them out by Mm -hmm. limiting trading in their apps so some calm could return to the stock market. It was very frustrating to see. And like I said, Robinhood's trying to make some excuses. I don't know if I buy them because they're still limiting trading on certain stocks. 
I'm also disappointed in people who have jumped in on the stock market just because of this. Look, you're too late, okay? Don't even bother. Stock trading can be very profitable. I've been trading seriously since about March of this past year, partly because of the pandemic, like a lot of other people. And it's fun. It actually gives me something new and refreshing every day. It's like, it's not the same old thing every day. You never know what you're going to get, unlike the rest Mm -hmm. of my life, which is fucking boring. So the stock trade, stock trading has actually been very exciting for me. I have made a pretty significant amount of money just by investing in stocks that I believe in, companies that I believe in. But the thing is, you got to be careful with your investments. It's gambling, just like you would on a slot machine. It's a little safer because when you lose money in a slot machine, you don't get it back. When you have a bad day on the stock market, you have a chance of of that money coming back. So at least there's that. But it is risky. Just Mm -hmm. invest in stocks that you believe in and you might do all right and invest slow and steadily over time. But some people right now are like still buying into GameStop like it's still going to explode. No, it's too late. Yeah, it's it makes me really uncomfortable because I'm seeing people online claiming that they're like putting their savings into this. And that is a terrible idea. I only recently started dabbling in this, kind of like Andrew, in the last year, just to sort of buy, make very small investments. I think I've got like $200 invested in the stock market right now. Because like every now and then I'll see something that looks like it might be trending and I'll be like, okay, let me throw $20 at it and just see how Mm -hmm. it does. Um, Because I'm... Uh, unlike some of these redditors who are, were apparently in a position to put twenty five thousand dollars on the stock market, um, I am not in any position to be doing that. Um, but yeah, you have to be really careful, and you have to understand that if you're going to do this, don't go putting money into it that you can't afford to lose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I think a lot of people are going to have a rude awakening if they're not already. And that's the problem, isn't it? That there's so much information out there right now, just based on what is happening with GameStop and Robinhood, that it's really easy to get misinformed of how everything works. And it's a lot more nuanced than what you might have time to catch up on in the heat of the moment. One of the important things that Laura touched on in this is that the hedge fund really got played at its own game in terms yep. of reddit stepping in and doing what they did um but i think a larger issue here that we have to be concerned about is what is being termed as economic terrorism what if a foreign entity like russia makes a decision that they want to do something like this they can create extreme volatility within our stock market mm. very similar to yeah. what these people on reddit yep. did so it is something we really need to be concerned about when you have social media as this medium for information to spread as rapidly as it did, whether it's true information, whether it's not true information. So yeah, that's just something to keep in mind now as we move forward, knowing that this has already happened, it can easily happen again. That's a really that's, interesting point because yeah. Russia could do it potentially just through fake news, spreading fake news, which they are mm-hmm. really, really good at. Yeah. I, When you started that thought, I thought you meant they were going to start investing in our markets to screw it up, which is possible. But also they could just do it through fake news, just like they did in 2016 and again mm-hmm. in 2020. Exactly. Now, I will say I play the stock market. Uh, on Animal Crossing. That's where I invest my money with Daisy May. Uh, (laughs) And uh, (laughs) one thing I will say, I have have found a way to game the market. I don't know if other folks have have heard about this. You probably have. But there's a turnip calculator online 
that has an <laughs> algorithm. So all you have to do is put in the numbers each day and it'll tell you what the best day is to actually go and buy turnips. Wow. A couple minutes ago, Micah said, I'm an economics major. And everybody was like, wow, we're going to get some great tips from Micah. And then he starts talking about Animal Crossing. Well, here, I'll make a confession. Um, So I, during the height of this, because it was very exciting to watch, um, if for no other reason, then I love the visual of some hedge fund um, investor having to explain to his family why they have to sell three of their four family yachts. Um <laughs> It's just very amusing to me to see people get played at their own game and then be triggered that other people could figure mm-hmm. out how to do it. Um, but I also bought $80 worth of Dogecoin, <laughs> <laughs> which is so stupid. It's so dumb. I acknowledge this. Um, but I bought it when it was selling for two cents a share. So it's not a huge investment. I was able to get like 1,700 <laughs> shares for $80. <laughs> <laughs> of Dogecoin, which is a Bitcoin currency, yeah, but by the it's way. Not, it's not real. It's a meme. <laughs> it's like, but it is real because, I mean, if you make money, you can profit off of Dogecoin. Yeah, I guess. I see what you're saying, but... It started yeah. off as a joke, though. Right. So as of right now, it has really stabilized to the point where, like, my $80 has not made any money. But at the height of this, it had gotten up to $0.09 cents a share when I paid two cents a share for it, and I was getting really excited. I was like, holy fuck, am I about to make some money off fucking do- Dogecoin? Oh, like, what the fuck? It's all so crazy. It is. It's, it's just... insane. So I'm just going to leave it there and just ignore it. And then hopefully in 10 years, I'll load up Robinhood and it'll be like, hey, you're rich. You're a millionaire now <laughs> from your 1,700 shares nice? of Dogecoin. And Andrew, you've made fun of me, but have you ever sold a turnip for... 512 bells a pop. Yes, I have. Thanks to our lovely Animal Crossing Facebook group. I know oh, that's okay. what you're talking about. It is very good. It helps you predict the market. It is. <laughs> but um, Micah, do you have any investments in real stocks? You don't have to share details. I'm just curious. I do. Okay, good. I will not share details though. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, just checking because you talk a lot about Animal Crossing and I'm like, hmm, what about real life for Micah? Does he have <laughs> financial investments? Anyway, so everybody just needs to be careful. I said a few minutes ago, this whole situation has made millionaires out of people. A lot of people are also going to lose lose their life savings because yeah. they're riding out GameStop and it's going to crash eventually. This probably cannot go on forever. So be careful, make small investments over time and let that portfolio build up. Invest in companies you believe in too. If you think they have a great future ahead, if you think they're going to be profitable, invest in them. It hopefully will go the right way for you. Anything can change, but it it might be worth a shot. I invested $40 in a marijuana stock. (laughs) And like it hasn't really gone anywhere, but I'm thinking with legalization coming, maybe that $40 will double. I've invested in Tesla, Apple, Peloton, some uh, clean energy companies. It's fun. I like watching it. You know, them go up and down. I don't like when they go down, of course, but I like watching them rise and fall because every day is different. I actually get a high, like, I'm in a better mood when I see my stocks are making money one day. I need other interests and hobbies. All right. Well, there's really no graceful way to transition from that to this next one. But we had a confessional um, with an unpopular. It's all about money. 
Yeah, Mm -hmm. (laughs) with an unpopular student loan forgiveness opinion. And I know, Micah, you had some thoughts about this, but I think related to conversations that we are frequently having about money and student loans on the show, it's very apropos for us to cover it now. Um, So this writer says, I consider myself to be pretty progressive politically, but I'm so frustrated by the ongoing conversations about and demands for student loan forgiveness. I worked my ass off to save for college and earn scholarships. My parents saved for decades. I had the grades and test scores to get into some excellent universities, but I chose to go to a public university in my own state solely to avoid taking on a large amount of debt. I spent my college years working and living as frugally as possible. I chose a major that would actually lead into a viable career path. I'm debt-free, and I'm really proud of the work I did and the choices I made to get here. The cost of college in the U.S. is outrageous, and we need to make changes to our education system and provide access to educational programs that will actually lead to jobs for more people. I think it would be fair to forgive some student debt, but I'm so tired of hearing the demands that all student loans be forgiven for everyone. That is entitlement at its finest. We all face consequences for our choices. My family and I sacrificed. Why should my taxes pay for their four years of fun and bad decisions while they are absolved? Maybe you all think I'm the entitled one, but I just feel like my hard work and sacrifices are being treated as if they were meaningless. Micah, do you want to respond first? There's a lot to unpack there. I'm sorry. Because... We're out of time. We'll have you on next oh week. My All right. <laughs> I'll see you later, guys. Thanks for having me again. I'm kidding. Please go ahead. Go ahead. No, th- there is a lot to unpack there. And and I guess I'll start by saying that I because I looked back in my emails to see when I actually paid off my student loan debt. And it was in 2015, 10 years after I graduated uh from grad school with my master's degree. And I think there's a lot to be said that for that, right? You have relief, there's pride, there's a sense of accomplishment that comes with doing that. But not everybody's in the same situation. And I think that that's important to take into consideration. And I actually took a look back, what was Syracuse tuition back you know, when I went to school in, in 2000, 2001, was my first year there. It was roughly, and this is just tuition. This doesn't include housing and everything else that comes along with it that you have to, you know, take into consideration. It was twenty thousand dollars. Now, fast forward to the last number I was able to find, twenty eighteen nineteen, is fifty six thousand dollars. And again, that's just for tuition alone. So when this person is talking about the exorbitant cost of college, totally understand where they're coming from. And now. Also worth mentioning, this is a private university, not a public university, but in a lot of cases, the costs aren't all that different anymore. Um, but I think, you know, there has to be some sort of middle ground resolution. I'm, I'm guessing this also came on the heels of Biden putting out that executive order to extend uh, the deferment period on student loans. I don't know that there is a good answer because you're always going to have people who paid off their loans feeling like they're being disenfranchised or being done a disservice in some way from the people who may want you know this to be wiped clean and and not have to worry about it. Um, but I, I don't think you're going to be able to get to one extreme or the other. You have to find some sort of middle ground. Um, I don't know, Laura, Andrew, 
depending on what you all think, but it's not just going to be like there's there's going to be a law passed and all of a sudden student loans are going to be they're going to go away. It's just not going to happen. That's why I think we have to figure out some sort of short-term solution where it's it's more agreeable across the board. Yeah. Um I fully agree with that. And I do want to point out too, so this confessional, the original one that was written in was a little bit lengthy. Um so I did do some consolidation and just for like just to prevent anybody from like making any assumptions, this person described that they had an extremely blue collar upbringing. So we're not talking about um, somebody who comes from like a lot of wealth. I know that sometimes it can be easy to make those assumptions when we hear this argument, um, but that's not the case here. And I just want to say, you know, I'm somebody who if full student loan forgiveness was offered tomorrow, I would take it. But I still understand why you feel the way you feel. Mm-hmm. You know, your family did sacrifice and you maybe didn't get to have the same college experience as some of your peers who weren't as focused on their studies. Um, I think, though, the real enemy here, and maybe enemy isn't the right word, Um, But the real place to be placing blame is on our predatory lending system. Um, Student loans, you know, they you can get them from banks, but you also get them from the federal government. All of my student loans are through the Department of Education. Um, They have an average interest rate of six and a half percent. That's higher than most mortgages. That's higher than the kind of interest you pay on a car or almost any other major investment. And the definition of predatory lending, this isn't like the official one, but like a loose (laughs) description of it is that you're putting unreasonable repayment terms on people who don't have the resources Um, or understanding of what they're getting themselves into with the knowledge that they're never going to be able to pay them back. The federal government openly acknowledges that they know most people will be unable to repay their loans simply by giving us loan forgiveness programs. I'm on the repay as you earn program where I pay my loans for 25 years and whatever I don't pay, during that 25 years, just gets forgiven at the end. So to me, that's like my government telling me, hey, we gave you a loan without verifying your ability to repay it, which if you try to get a loan under any other circumstance, they generally want to know what your income is and what your field is, not for student loans. Right. So I agree. Um, I, you know, I have the benefit of coming from a background where my parents made me very, very aware of what student loans meant. Not everyone has that. So I knew what I was signing up for. But even then, I don't think I had an appropriate understanding of what that interest meant and like how interest can compound on itself. Um, I've been paying my student loans for four years at this point, and I have exclusively paid interest the entire time because there's just no getting out from under it. I'll also just add that there's like 
I feel like on both sides, maybe there's a lot of sweeping generalizations being made and maybe yes. it was not the the intent of this person who wrote in to do that. But just even, a, you know, a statement of why, why should I have worked hard when everybody else, you know, kind of skated by is in, a, in and of itself a sweeping generalization. And I'll use myself as an example because I come from a single parent household. My mom worked really hard to do the best she could for us. I went to San Francisco State, which is only 30 minutes away from where I live. I worked two jobs and I interned and I still have student loan debt. I think it's really easy to get bitter about like what what maybe you saw from privileged peers in terms of behavior. But it, it's yeah, I just think that we need to to remember that it's much more nuanced. And then on top of everything else, you know, when I was going to school, there were a lot of higher education budget cuts. So with San Francisco State specifically, they were limiting the amount of um, units and courses that were available to students, which meant that it took me way longer to graduate with the double major I wanted to. And at the same time, the tuition was rising as well. So that's like a really shitty situation from a public school standpoint. I didn't go to a fancy school that really starts screwing people over when all they're trying to do is, you know, try and get out so that they can make money. And then half of that money is just going back to to paying what a lot of people assume is good debt. Laura and I talk about this a lot on the show that oh, yeah. you know we were fed this idea that student loan debt was going to be good debt. And I'm not really sure that that's the case because we were also promised that as long as we went to school, there would be a good paying job for us waiting on the other end. And that's not really the case anymore. So yeah. we definitely mm-hmm. need to reevaluate how... Um, this is sold. And the fact that it was sold to an entire generation, because I know we're not the only ones, is in and of itself a problem. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think it's a problem, too, that, you know, a lot of people are in the position of this confessional writer and their family, where they're having to make really significant sacrifices to get an education. And that in and of itself is also a problem. Yeah, I would argue that you should feel salty about that too. Yeah. I'll just close out by saying, I mean, I think Pam, what you brought up about the generalizations is important because there are people who could be on scholarship that could just piss it all away. It doesn't have to be that they get you know, their tuition provided, let's say in this case, by the government for them. And just because they now have the ability um, you know, to go to school for free, that you know, it's essentially a free ride where they're able to just go and do what they want day in and day out. Um, and then I think the point brought up about not being set up for success is huge because you're coming out of college. You know, in, in the case that I made with, if you just recently graduated, let's say from an institution like Syracuse and you were paying that kind of money every year, and let's say you couldn't afford the tuition at all. You're talking about over $200,000 of debt coming out of college and that's just the tuition. That's insane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To and and I benefited from being at home. That allowed me to pay off a lot of my debt, honestly. And I I just think too the the idea that this person, you know, they worked hard in a specific major so that they could get a specific job out of school. We were talking about economics before. I did not go into economics. So this, you know, you don't always follow the career path that you study. That's a given. Yeah. And I think too, I mean, for instance, I count my I consider myself lucky because um, I think that the idea that all student loan debt is going to wipe get wiped out, I don't think that's ever going to happen, much less anytime soon. 
Um, I think, honestly, that a really good place to start would be to forgive the interest. Forgive the interest and let people actually pay their principal balances. Um, I'm fortunate enough to be in a position where, yes, it would still take me a long time to pay that, but I could actually do it. Right now, it kind of feels like the deck is stacked against me and like they don't want me to be able to pay the principal balance down because ultimately they make more money off of me if I don't. Um, And then I would just close it out by like zooming out and kind of looking at this from a larger economic perspective. And Micah, you can let me know if I'm wrong here, but economically, it's not good for anyone if you have an entire generation of people who have no equity and no ability to build equity. So if you have an entire generation of people who are buying homes and cars and starting families at much lesser rates than previous generations, that's still not good for you, even though it might feel like And I'm not saying it's wrong to feel this way. It might feel like a slap in the face to see other people getting their debt forgiven. At the end of the day, though, I think something like 40% of federal student loan borrowers are expected to default on their loans within the next decade. So if that happens, you also end up paying for it. Um, This is... This is exactly the point I wanted to make, because by forgiving all this debt, which people cannot get out from under, the whole country is going to thrive more. You know, you're going to benefit from this, too, in other ways. And um, everybody had really good points, so I'm not going to reiterate much other than to say I can kind of feel where you're coming from because... Because I went to a state school in California and because I dropped out, I think I didn't load up much debt. So I was able to pay off my student loans. So when I hear this, I kind of feel a little jealous too. Like, you know, obviously I wish my debt was cleared and then I could have used that money I spent on my debt to um, buy a car or something. So I, I hear your frustrations, but at the end of the day, by clearing all this debt out, it would be an amazing thing for our country. All of our friends would be able to thrive. This country would be able to thrive. People would be out spending more because they don't have to spend 600 700 or more a month on student loans. I know some people who spend that much or more. I cannot imagine having to pay that on top of everything else month to month. Yeah. And yeah. definitely, like, I don't think anybody here um, intends for this to come across like, you know, you're hating on this person for having this opinion. I see it a lot and I understand it. Um, I think that there are more nuanced ways that we can think about it. And honestly, confessional writer, I think that you're just as much a victim of the predatory costs of higher education in this country as everyone else. So I think that we can actually make a lot more productive change by agreeing on what the problem is and trying to move forward on, like, how can we equitably Mm -hmm. solve this issue? Another point to consider is that Black women hold more student loan debt in this country than any other racial or ethnic group. And when you consider the racial wealth gap that exists, this just further exaggerates that. So it's an extremely multifaceted problem. Um, I understand how you feel, but my hope is that we can agree to move forward on it together to try and find a way that I'm talking like we on this podcast have a way to solve this. But like, that's my hope is that 
there can... We're paying off all the debt. Yeah. <laughs> I wish. That my hope <laughs> From is our that... Robin Hood advertisements. My hope is that maybe like, oh my God. My hope is that people can, we can stop setting, we can start setting aside arguments like these in the interest of finding a way to mutually benefit everyone. And that could also include like giving people who've paid their student loans off a tax credit. Or something. I'm not averse to that. I'm sure we could spend more time on this, but um, we do have to move on. So good discussion, though. Interesting thoughts. And uh, thank you, everybody, for sharing those. And we're going to take a quick break because Valentine's Day is coming up. And you may still be looking for the perfect gift for your loved one. If so, you have got to try Lovebook. Lovebook is the most personalized, unique, and clever as hell gift imaginable. You get to make a real book for the special person in your life. Most customers use a love book to revisit their fondest memories or to list the reasons why they love someone. There are all kinds of templates for you to start with so you can create just the right book. There are so many clever, heartfelt, and relatable pages for you to choose from. Plus, you can make your own. The possibilities are truly endless. Check them out today and make a love book for anyone special in your life. It can be someone you're in a relationship with, a parent, a child, a coworker, a best friend, a teacher, whoever. These books are truly for anyone. And no matter what time of year you are making your love book, the recipient will absolutely love it. When you give them the book, I promise you, it's going to be a very special moment as they open it and read it. They just will not be expecting it. Visit lovebookonline.com slash M-I-L-L to receive a special 20% discount only for our listeners. Again, that's lovebookonline.com slash M-I-L-L. Whether it's for Valentine's Day or something else, make one of these. It's a really special gift. I know what I'm getting you, Tree Daddy. Oh (laughs) my God. Not Tree Daddy. Plant Daddy. I'm sorry. (laughs) You got to work your way up, right? Oh my God. I hope my plants get me a a love book. That would be so sweet. Micah, you know what your mission is now. Yep. I know in a couple (laughs) of years though, then then I can call you Tree Daddy. (laughs) Yes. So I have another big discussion topic for us. I was thinking about this as Trump's presidency came to a close, which is still surreal to say. I wanted to know how everybody's relationship to politics has changed over the last four years. Because I know for me, there have been a couple areas where I am very different now than I was prior to Trump. I have kept a much, much closer eye on what the president is up to. When Obama was in the White House, uh, you know, when Bush, when uh, Clinton before him, I just I didn't pay as much attention. And part of that was because I was younger. I didn't really care as much. What do politics matter? But also just because like, in my older years, pre-Trump, those were the Obama years. And I was just like, well, the Democrat is president. That's okay. Everything's fine. I don't really need to keep tabs on it. But then you learn stuff over the t- over time and you're like, well, okay, maybe not everything o- Obama did was perfect. And then Trump comes into office and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe all these things are happening. So that's one thing for me. And I also started reading the New York Times and the Washington Post daily. I wasn't doing that before. I didn't have a subscription to a newspaper. Now I subscribe to both of these because not only do I want to be informed by very reputable sources, but I also want to support good journalism. And um, of course, another big change for me has just been that politics has been way less boring. And now I anticipate politics to become kind of boring again, but you can make them more interesting if you're paying attention to what exactly is happening. And honestly... I can kind of already feel myself sliding back into how I was in the Obama years just because I'm seeing less about 
what Biden is up to. For some reason, mm-hmm. I just don't see it as much. And Biden's doing plenty. So I, I'm trying to be aware of the fact that I'm kind of slipping into how I was pre-Trump. And I'm trying to be more proactive about looking at what he is actually doing. So how has the rest of the panel changed in the last mm-hmm. four years besides crying more? Micah, do you want the spotlight here? I know this is one that you rejoined Another us Another se- segment I prepared? <laughs> yeah. Sure. I mean, I'll... Uh, I actually like a lot of what uh, Andrew had to say. Good, because we're out of time. All right, so All let's right. move on. To- <laughs> <laughs> See you next week. Um, I, it's, I guess it's fitting, too, that we spent so much time talking about finances uh, in this episode, but I've definitely become more invested financially uh, as it relates to politics. Uh, no problem saying in addition to donating to the Biden campaign, I made a point of supporting um, Warnock and Ossoff um, in those runoff elections. Uh, the you. other thing too is, you're welcome. I think there's a lot more political fatigue now, uh, mostly due to the the necessary hourly media coverage of Trump, which I think, as we all know, had very little to do with politics and more to do with just covering the sensation that was Trump. And Andrew, I think that ties a little bit to what you were saying about how maybe now it's going to get a little bit more boring with Biden. Mm-hmm. But I kind of want to go a day in the news without hearing about the president. I'm over I know. It. I know. And um, one thing, too, in the last four years I can say is I did not follow POTUS, FLOTUS, <laughs> VP on any social media mm, channels, same. which I now have changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, I, I'm reading a lot more, too. Like you said, Andrew, the, the Post and the Times. And uh, I think you know it's a good thing to be more informed, mm-hmm. but- these last four years have just been so exhausting. Yeah, it's it's unreal um, how much scrutiny he was under as president, rightly so. But just they did not let him come up for air at all, and I think it weighed on a lot of us. I think I mean I know it weighed yeah. on me. No, you're right. Like psychologically, I was oh I'm yeah done with him. Mm-hmm. Like let him go. I don't want to hear about him. I know. And that's one reason why his Twitter account is gone, because Mm -hmm. it helps push him into the background. If he was still on Twitter, he'd still be tweeting shit every day Mm -hmm. about how the election was stolen from him and all. And he'd be complaining about everything Joe does. We don't hear any of that. It's amazing. We do Mm -hmm. get those incredible uh, briefings from the office of the former president, though. (laughs) Have you guys read those? One or two. It's comically just ridiculous. I would like to echo a lot of what... uh, Andrew and Micah have already shared. I also want to add that I've become much more wary of polling, like much like mm-hmm. the stock market. I am not an expert in polling, um, but I feel like I've developed a healthy appreciation for when it is a useful data point to reference and when it is not. I've also gotten into drilling into individual districts. Um, I've gotten a lot more interested in state and local um, and really growing my understanding of how that plus the issue of gerrymandering puts us in the types of positions we've been in politically in recent history. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly, I was super interested in drilling into districts that voted for Obama in 2012 and flipped to Trump in 2016 to see what they were doing this cycle. Um, And it seemed like that proved to be a little bit of a better predictor Mm -hmm. to have smaller counties um, 
examined rather than being like, oh, national poll, 80% of the country hates Trump. (laughs) I just don't find those kinds of statements very helpful. So I'm trying to stay away from them. Um, Also, even from like mainstream news outlets, when they use that kind of data to try and make clickbaity headlines. Yeah. I feel like I'm less likely Mm -hmm. to be sucked in by them now. I'm a lot more critical in general than I was four years ago. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten... (laughs) This isn't necessarily a good thing. I've gotten pretty cynical about the Republican Party. (laughs) No. Like, (laughs) I just, I feel like at this point, if you are aligning with a party that is wanting to brush an attempted coup that happened not even a month ago under the rug, then I don't trust your judgment. I know. And Mm. it's that's not so much. I mean, I understand like individuals, like private citizens, um, that maybe doesn't apply quite so much to them as it does to the elected officials. Um, I still definitely find myself like raising an eyebrow when I hear a regular person buying into QAnon. Um, At the end of the day, though, I recognize that they're victims of cultism. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, it's. Maybe not necessarily a good place to be. Um, I think the biggest way that I've changed is kind of the way that I read news specifically. I think before Trump, if I was, you know, if I didn't have enough time to read, say, the newspaper, uh, basically what I would do is I would read the headline and the nut graph and then see if it was something that I needed to catch up on or inform myself on. And if it wasn't, and I didn't have time, I'd move on to the next thing. I'm way less likely to do that now, especially if I'm reading online because of sensational headlines. Um, it's very easy to, like Laura was saying with the polling, to get you know sucked into just assuming you know exactly what a story is about based on how they've uh, basically advertised it uh, just in a few words. Uh, and I also read more sources than I did before. So instead of reading, you know, about one news story from one or two outlets perspectives, I will sometimes even read like three or four different takes just to see how people frame it and try and form my own opinion. Uh, But with all that said, funnily enough, uh, over the course of the past few years, I've actually kind of started limiting how often I check up on news throughout the day, which is something that I have had to try really hard to work on because I'm in journalism. So it's really easy to get swept up in the 24-hour news cycle. And that was my life for a really long time. Um, But it just starts draining on you so fast. And I'm shocked that I held out as long as I did. Um, And now I just kind of check like maybe three times a day, if that. So once in the morning, once in the Uh afternoon, once in the evening. And that's what I was doing even before Trump left office. And I feel like I'm checking even less now that Biden's been in office for a few weeks. <laughs> but I do need to get yeah. back to it because I know it's important to to keep up on it. But yeah, that that's basically it's just like my news consumption habit habits have really um, altered a lot. I like yeah. the point about reading multiple sources because you do get yep. those different perspectives and how, like you said, Fox people Vox is a good one too. How people yeah. Fox. Oh, Fox. I thought you said Vox, which is a source we would like here on the show. Well, you know, know your enemy. (laughs) (laughs) I think you were going, Andrew. We we even try to do this on the show. Like, we're not always perfect at it, but we do try to cross-reference sources when it's, you know, they're available to do so. Um, So, like, if I see something on, you know, The Hill, 
I will have a look at like WAPO, the New York Times, Vox, like to start seeing if I can see a consistent theme in other places. Yeah. And I wish that that were just more of an everyday part of American life, but unfortunately mm-hmm. it's not. But it's also a time thing. You don't have time to read the same story yeah, for, in four true. different places. <laughs> I remember what I was going to say, though. The, the headlines can be so different Fox. and the way shut up mm-hmm. like and the way and the even not just the headline but the way they'll describe it in the post on facebook or twitter you know it might sound grim as fuck but then you get into the story and you get more context and you're like okay this isn't as bad as they were making it out to be even the new york times does this too i mean because they got to get people clicking in so they'll pick just the worst part of a story to bring you in but then once you read the rest, you're hearing some things that make it sound not as bad. Even during Trump, even some decisions that Trump has made, they write a headline that sounds like the worst thing possible. And then you get this extra context and you're like, OK, so the world isn't going to literally end tomorrow. And I actually kind of hate that, too, from a just from like a news perspective. I get why they have to do it. Everybody is struggling right now in the media industry. You got to get the clicks to make the money to keep going. But in ter- like I have friends that are not in news at all, and it's completely turned them off from wanting to read news at all to see, you know, like a Washington Post or a New York Times playing into that clickbait game. Uh, and we saw it happening a lot more over the course of like the last maybe two, three years of Trump's run as president. So. Yeah, I kind of like I get it, but I do kind of wish that 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 they would maybe not feed into it as much because I feel mm-hmm. like I spend half my time trying to convince people why they should still be reading the news, you know, or maybe mm-hmm. even subscribing to a physical paper because it's like apples and oranges in terms of coverage and how things are framed, you know, based on like you could read a, a story mm-hmm. in the Washington Post that runs in print, but also online, but the way it's framed in print is way different than it's framed online. So yeah, for sure. I mean, you have a really great example of this is right now, there are 10 Senate Republicans who are trying to bring a compromise deal to Biden's desk on COVID relief. So Biden's plan is for $1.9 trillion. The Republican compromise plan is for $618 billion. And just looking through it, it represents significant cuts to all of the things that would actually help most regular people in this country. But I guarantee if you go to foxnews.com, they're framing that narrative as though Republicans are answering Biden's call for unity. And they're trying to come to the table and make a deal that makes fiscal sense because, you know, Republicans only become deficit hawks when Democrats are in charge. <laughs> right. When right. Republicans are in charge, they'll Spend blow as much the deficit as up. You it doesn't want. matter. Yeah. yeah. What, one other thing just really quickly that came to mind when you were kind of making all your points was I think a lot of people also found their voice in the last four years mm. politically mm-hmm. that I would never have expected before. I mean, I've probably been pretty outspoken myself over the years, but uh, just like looking through social media and and people just calling a spade a spade a lot of times um, or being really passionate and outspoken about certain issues that otherwise weren't. I think if there's one positive thing that can be taken from the last four years, maybe that's it. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Also, I know that Andrew was um, saying that we need to keep supporting journalism, good journalism and stuff. But I would also encourage people to support local journalism because I think what 
um, often get swept under the rug is a lot of these national pieces that you see on like the cable news media. All of those people that are putting those packages together, they're sweeping local news organizations. So that's like your, you know, your newspaper next door down the street that your parents are still reading. Like that's where all of those bigger stories start from most of the time. Just by really yeah. good investigative reporting that's being done by people that are underpaid, overworked, and are doing it because, you know, they love it and they feel some kind of sense of duty to keep the public informed. And also think about when news breaks in your town, and let's say it's a huge nationwide story, let's say, God forbid, a shooting, who's the first on the scene? The local yeah. reporters. Yep, and who's going to get the best coverage because they're so well connected in the town, the local mm-hmm. people. Yep. So yeah, that's a great point. I meant to bring that up. When I moved out here, I started supporting a Vegas paper, just like I was in Chicago. And then like a few weeks later, they endorsed Trump. I was like, well, goodbye. Time Las to move Vegas my money. <laughs> yeah, I called them up. I said, I'm canceling because of that endorsement. Fuck off. And then I found the left leading. Did one. you really? I didn't say fuck off, but I said I'm can't I'm canceling because of the endorsement. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good oh, yeah. You. Yeah. Well, I think I told you guys I attempted to record it, the call, because I hoped they were going to try to fight me because, you know, these papers, they don't want you to cancel because they're struggling. He didn't put up a fight. He was just like, all right, we're <laughs> it's done. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, they were they were like, we don't want you either. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, before we move on to pop culture, I wanted to share a quick word from one of our sponsors, Third Love. I've been wearing Third Love's bras for a couple of years now and have slowly been replacing my bras with a new Third Love bra ever since. I honestly didn't believe that it was possible for a bra to be supportive, comfortable, and attractive until I tried on my first 24-7 perfect coverage bra from 3rd Love. Every 3rd Love bra is made with signature memory foam cups, no slip straps, and a scratch-free band, all available in cups AA through I, including half cups, and band sizes 30 through 48. If you're not sure about your size, you can take Third Love's online Fit Finder quiz to find a style and size that fits your unique shape and body. It takes less than 60 seconds to answer a few simple questions, and if you don't love it, exchanges and returns are always free for 60 days. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering our listeners 20% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash millennial to find your perfect fitting bra and get 20% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash millennial for 20% off today. So really quick in pop culture, Netflix is rolling out uh, another feature that you might be excited about or you might not be. Um, there's going to be a shuffle play option very soon. and they're actually thinking about rolling this out or they will be rolling this out within the first half of 2021. So this is something that you'll see incredibly soon. If you're not already seeing it as part of a test pool that's currently ongoing. So basically what's going to happen is that when you sign in on that login page that has all of the profiles of people that are on your account, you're going to see a button that says um, that you can go into shuffle play. And when that launches, it'll just take you to a randomized title And if you don't like it, you'll see another button that says play something else and you can click on that and the process kind of repeats over again. Uh, So 
as part of this feature, what Netflix will do is that it'll, it'll use its algorithm to pull from shows and movies that are similar to the things that you've already watched on the platform. It'll also pull from titles and genres you frequently watch, and it'll also pull from all of those titles that you have on your my list that you have not gotten around to yet. So uh, that's what's coming down the pipeline over on Netflix. We all are Netflix subscribers, so I just thought it would be interesting to talk about this because I want to say we discussed this before. And when the idea of the feature came out, I thought you could just shuffle from, you know, like a specific TV show. So if, say, The Office was still on Netflix, you could hit shuffle play and get a random Office episode. This seems to be a little bit more broad. So you guys excited? Yeah. So for that reason, I don't want it because are Netflix recommendations personalized, quote unquote, recommendations ever good? I never look at that row that says like recommended for you or whatever. Because, yeah, okay, so I watch Breaking Bad, and then they're like, oh, he must like drug dramas. But not all of them are going to be Breaking Bad levels, so why share these with me? I'm probably just going to be disappointed. The one interesting thing here in the shuffle feature is that it takes content uh, that's on your saved list. That I actually do use, so that sounds interesting to me. But I don't trust any of these streamers with their recommendation engines. I just don't think they work really well. Nobody's really cracked that recommendation code to really get inside the individual user's head to know exactly what I will want and genuinely enjoy. Like these recommendation engines need to need to be at the point where like they know me so well, I will tweet about anything I watch in that recommendation row nonstop because it 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 just speaks to me. That's what I want. Until we're there, I don't trust any of these things. I I mean, I've must have been in that beta test because I've had the shuffle for a oh, little perfect. while now. Oh. And well, you watch a lot of Netflix, I haven't so used I'm not it. surprised. I must. I must. Uh, but I agree with you, Andrew. I mean, I always get those emails where they say, you haven't finished watching X. It's like, okay, leave me alone. Mind your own like, business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and a lot of the time, too, the recommendations are just weird. Like, again, to your point about them drawing conclusions based upon you watching Breaking Bad, thinking you want to watch like SVU and and Criminal Minds and all these other uh, shows. Yeah, I think a good example for me is that um, I ended up uh, several years ago at this point stumbling onto Jane the Virgin on Netflix and just like falling in love with that show. It's great start to finish, but it's a CW show. And I feel like as a result of that, Netflix is like, oh, you like CW shows. And I'm like, no, this was <laughs> a special case. Stop recommending these shitty TV shows. I really want you yeah. to watch Riverdale. Supernatural. <laughs> Riverdale. We should turn this into a segment on the show because now I'm looking at what Netflix are the top picks for me. And I'm like, how did they decide these things? I never look at this row because I don't believe in this. Um, they have a show called Song Exploder. I don't watch music. Getting recommended to me, too. Uh, yeah, well, it's a Netflix show, that's so that's why. probably yeah. why. Chef, the John John Favreau movie. I don't watch cooking shows. Hillbilly Elegy. That movie has horrible reviews. Why would I want to watch that? A, a a show, twelve seasons called Trailer Park Boys. Why does Netflix think I want to watch Trailer Park Boys? I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know. You tell me. 
The Great British Baking Show. I don't watch that. Okay, but Pat that's like does. a Pat recommendation. You oh, you wait, guys yeah, have he separate, uses my yeah. account, so that's probably why. Damn it. No, I, I was going to say, too, sometimes I get recommendations for things that I've already finished watching, so I don't know what kind of memory Netflix has, but it's not a very good one. <laughs> my whole thing is that I just feel like Netflix always has an, an ulterior motive to push what they think should be the most popular. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, or if I a really, show really needs I some views. I have very little trust in like all of these numbers that Netflix pushes out because nobody's regulating them except for them. So how, like, how are we really supposed to know how many views a show is getting? Well, and also just because a show is getting lots of views isn't a good thing. Pam, you and I know this yeah, from the Selena, Selena series. Oh, right? Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Because everybody was hate watching right. it. But but also like, of course, That's everyone why. watched it because it's Selena. It wasn't because it was good. It's because she's a queen. Yep. And we can't let go. Um, I know. But yeah, I mean, like, but even like to bring it back to something that people are actually interested in and something that not just Laura and I are, um, you know, still upset over is that the way that Netflix put like um, tallies these numbers is that you don't even really have to finish the whole series. Sometimes it like they'll tally oh, it yeah. as a watch based on like whether you watched 30 minutes of the pilot and then all of a sudden it's like y- your 30 minute hate watch or 15 minute hate watch counts as one of 64 billion views, for example, or 64 million views. So somebody in the chat brought up how there used to be star ratings on everything on Netflix and they got rid of those. So you can't see what other people think of all the content anymore. It just gives you that recommendation percentage, like how much this show or movie gels with what you have watched. I want to know if a movie is actually good or not. So I'd rather have those star ratings come back. Justin said, I put animated Jurassic Park on the other day and my recommendations were destroyed. (laughs) Anyway, I'll check this out, Pam. But like you, I just want Netflix to shuffle a show that I love. That can't be a hard feature to make. Just do that. Pick a show, you click into the show, you click shuffle on that show, then it just starts serving you random episodes until they get through all of them. Perfect. I got an idea. Our next million dollar website, netflixshuffle.com. You pop in a show, it just starts spitting out random season and episode numbers, and you just follow that guide. We should call it Netflix and Shuffle. Ooh. Like Netflix and Chill, Netflix and Shuffle. So there's something else I wanted to mention. This just broke on Monday. We found out that Tony Bennett has been battling Alzheimer's uh, for some time now, it sounds like. And this was in an article in AARP magazine. And what we also learned in this article is that Gaga and Tony Bennett have actually been working on a new album together. And there's this really sad passage. It looks like this this album, the making of this album, is it was shot for a documentary. AARP reviewed footage from the documentary. And Gaga tries to say some things to Tony throughout the recording session. And she keeps her statements short, as experts in the disease have advised you do when talking to somebody with Alzheimer's. So she would just say, you sound so good, Tony. And then he would just reply, thanks. She uh, would say, you know, the tour, the 2015 tour was great. Didn't we have fun every night? And he would just stare at her blankly and say, yeah, she just kept getting very short responses back from him. So it sounds like he's pretty far into the Alzheimer's and it's really sad. And this is the first time we're learning about this. So I imagine this documentary is also going to be a good look at Alzheimer's and how people battle that. 
So we don't know much more about this documentary at this time. Gaga and Tony Bennett's Cheek to Cheek album was very well received. I wasn't personally a a huge fan of it just because it's not necessarily my type of music. But I know both of them sounded amazing on that. So I think everybody's really looking forward to this follow up album. But yeah, just a sad situation I thought I'd mention. Yeah, it'll definitely be. I mean, you have to admire, you know, I, I would assume that Tony Bennett signed on to this understanding that part of this is going to be really shining a light on the disease. And you have to admire him or, you know, if I'm not sure if that's something that would be at the discretion of any caretakers um, who are caring for him. But I think that was their decision because it's his caretakers who who actually were interviewed for this AARP piece. Got it. Okay. I mean, he's a he's an American icon obviously and like I, I it it's interesting cuz i've watched him a lot or listened to him a lot when he would you know sing with billy joel he would always show up at you know madison square garden or or shea stadium or other places um to do new york state of mind you know being from queens obviously a song has a lot of meaning um so it it is sad to see i mean i know he's what in his mid 90s at this point um but to see him come back and and do everything he's done over the course of the last couple of years is it's amazing. That is the amazing part that he is suffering from this disease and yet he can still go into the go into the studio and sing like nothing's wrong. That's really incredible. Yeah, in a similar vein to what Micah was saying, I mean, you know, Tony Bennett's version of I Left My Heart in San Francisco is something that's very near and dear to my hometown, the city. Um he's at like Every playoff game for the Giants, whenever they've made it, they play that song every time they win. Um, it's just very deeply uh, rooted into the fabric of the city. So it, it's really sad, but how nice that they're able to make this one last record together. Because like Andrew was saying, the Cheek to Cheek was very critically received and they just did such phenomenal work. It was a turning point for Gaga as well, because that was kind of the first time that everybody got to see her do something different than, you know, the dance pop that she burst onto the scene with. Right. And it really showed her range. So I'm really excited to to see what they do, even though it's obviously going to be very bittersweet given the circumstances. Yeah. And apparently there's a scene where um, Gaga is watching him sing and the song ends and Gaga looks on from behind her mic, her smile breaking into a quiver her eyes brimming before she puts her hands over her face and sobs. So this sounds like this is going to be a really moving documentary and maybe hard to watch too. Anyway. (laughs) Well, onto something that hopefully isn't hard to watch. Um, Just wanted to let y'all know that Mark and I recorded a WandaVision Q&A. Some of our patrons in the last week have requested this because if you're not super familiar with all of the lore involved and all of the happenings of the MCU over the last 10 years, you might be a little bit confused about what's happening in WandaVision. Um, But Mark is our resident MCU expert here on the show, and he and I sat down for about half an hour a few days ago after episode four of WandaVision came out and answered some of your questions and also shared some of our theories. So if you're interested in that, 
head over to patreon.com slash millennial to check it out. Awesome. Thank you for doing that. All right, guys, one more sponsor for the road. They're Rothy's and they make stylish and sustainable shoes and bags from recycled plastic bottles. And believe me when I say you can put some miles on Rothy's shoes. I've been wearing my point flats for over two years as my go-to flat, and these things have really held up. The best part is I can toss them in the washer for a refresh and they come out looking brand spanking new every time. CNN says Rothy's are the comfiest slip-on shoe we've ever owned, period. On top of being super comfortable, Rothy's are available in a variety of styles and an ever-changing array of colors, prints, and patterns. And for the environmentally conscious among you, Rothy's has transformed over 70 million bottles into beautiful shoes, handbags, and face masks. Check out all of the amazing shoes, bags, and masks available right now at rothys.com slash M-I-L-L. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash M-I-L-L. Style and sustainability meet to create your new favorites. Head to rothys.com slash M-I-L-L today. It's time for some recommendations. So this could also spur a bit of discussion. I want to recommend being a decent human and picking up your dog's shit. Now, in my area, for some reason, a lot of people insist on not picking up their dog's doo-doo. And it really pisses me off because it is not hard to do. You bring uh, with your leash, you attach a little uh, doggy bag holder to it, and you pick up the dog shit when your dog craps. Out here, for some reason, I can't walk a block without seeing two or three piles of dog shit. And it's just so infuriating. Now, my area does not have those uh, dog trash uh, bins with the bags attached with a sign that say, pick up your dog's crap, you moron. But they are adding those soon. But I'm not helpful that's going to exactly fix things because it's just instilled in people that, that they can be a bad neighbor. Do you guys experience this where you live? I know it's not exclusive to the area I'm in. No. I mean, I I do here. And what's interesting is that, I mean, there are literally islands in the boulevards that separate the streets where you can go to walk your dog. Um, now, look, the reality is the dog isn't always going to make it to the island, right? I mean, yeah, that's just the way it goes. But a lot of us here, we have like these little strips in front of the house where technically they're owned by the city, not owned by the people who own the property. Chicago and has so things too, yeah. People think that they can just go and walk their dogs there. And it's become a real problem because residents don't want dogs taking a dump or a leak on this strip because they feel like it's their property. Like they own it, even though it's, and, you know, people will fight back, you know, it's the city's, you know, and it, it creates this huge argument. It's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. To your point, Andrew, pick up after your dog. It's not that hard. Yeah. I've seen really cool signs. If you want to buy them, like stick them in the ground that say like smile, you're on camera to pick up after your dog or something like that. I'm at the point where I want to make my own signs and tape them up on wherever I can because it just infuriates me. And I'm like, if you let your dog poop there, don't you walk by that spot for the next few weeks when you walk your dog again? Don't you get tired of seeing that dog crap? Yeah, I will say something that gets aggravating about this being in a semi-rural area that I am. um, I walk my dog on a leash, but there are a lot of folks here in Georgia who just let their dogs roam free and like live their best lives and shit wherever they want. 
But sometimes it gets frustrating because as one of the only people in my area who walks her dog on a leash, I tend to be the most visible dog owner. So I've definitely had people accuse me of being this person before. And I'm like, there are like 80 fucking different dogs around here that walk around unattended to. (laughs) Go yell at their owners. So it's funny you mentioned that because part of my family lives on a cul-de-sac. That's where my brothers and sisters live. So we go to my dad and my stepmom's house for Christmas. And a couple of years ago, when everybody was still able to get together, one of the kids went out to get the newspaper on Christmas morning when we were all in the living room. And in the mailbox was a bag of dog shit that was labeled <gasps> pick up after your dog. Now, the best part is, is that my my brother who saw this looked in the bag and he was like, this is not our shit because our dog <laughs> is big <laughs> and this is very <laughs> small. <laughs> so these are yeah, little oh whoever, like was so like. <laughs> just done with the bullshit which i we get there were there are definitely other dogs on this street which is why it was really funny that they decided that that must have been our dog (laughs) they must have just been so done to like take the trouble to scoop it into a paper bag and label it and then walk all the way over to (laughs) our house which is at the top of the hill and put it in there about two weeks ago me and pat were driving and we were just leaving the neighborhood and i saw a couple an older couple walking their dog and the dog was taking a shit and we were approaching a, a stop sign so we were slowing down and i rolled down the window and i said pat yell at them because at that <laughs> point i was i was up to my head you know i was just so mad he didn't do it because we mm-hmm. were moving too quick and i don't think it registered with him that i was serious but if i see any motherfuckers doing that again yeah. i'm gonna yell out the window you know past pat right into pat's ear at, because I ju- they deserve to be embarrassed. Mm-hmm. And I have a theory, which is that anyone who doesn't pick up their dog poop also hates wearing a mask. These just aren't decent people. Ooh, I would like to see that Venn diagram. <laughs> <laughs> There's no Venn diagram. It's just a circle over top of another a circle. circle. Yeah. So that's my rant and recommendation. Pick up your dog shit. Andrew is up to his ears in dog shit. I've had Somebody it. do something. My recommendation... I'm just going to wait for Andrew to say, here we go again, is the uh, Anything for Selena podcast, which you can listen to on all platforms. It's super good. And what I really love about this show is that the host um, that does it is uh, she she talks about her own experiences growing up as Mexican-American, but every episode is released in English and also in Spanish. Uh, and she also has an interview with the Abraham Quintanilla in episode two. So uh, that was kind of interesting because she talks about, you know, how uh, she went in with such preconceived notions because as Laura and I have talked about, uh, people have a lot of strong opinions about her family and her legacy and stuff like that, but it's really well done and I'm enjoying it so far. So if you like Laura and I are really deeply embedded in, you know, Selena and her legacy and even, or even just got, you know, rolled into what was going on at Netflix with the show, I would recommend checking this out because it's really well done. You two should try to get an invite onto the podcast. We'll send them uh, your discussion here as a audition. I guess it depends. (laughs) Did she like the show? Did I? Oh, you know what? I'm not sure yet. I'm only like three episodes in, but that okay. that might be grounds for, for cancellation, I guess. <laughs> yeah. F- find out how she felt about the show, and then we can make that pitch. If you two disagree with her, then that might make for a good discussion. Oh, but... that's a good point. Maybe yeah, we can invite course. her on here, and Andrew can take a break for the week. <laughs> yep. 
Great. Uh, Total Selena episode. Micah, no. <laughs> That's my recommendation. Micah, no pressure, but do you have a recommendation this week? I mean, I've been reading a fair amount during the pandemic, and one series that was recommended to me actually by a, a MuggleCast listener was The Secrets of the Immortal Nicholas Flamel. I'm not sure if anybody's heard of that series before, uh, but if folks like Harry Potter and other series like that. This is just like taking every mythological creature and being ever mentioned and throwing it all into one story, regardless of what um, part of the world it may come from. So it's actually really cool. It's very light reading. There's six books and uh, it's enjoyable. It's, it's easy to get through. So if people are looking for something to read, I definitely recommend giving uh, that first book a chance. We also recommend, very politely, pledging to our Patreon, if you are able. We would really appreciate that. Yes, it is please. Because, it is because of oh, the I'm Patreon. <laughs> it is because of the Patreon that we have this podcast, and we enjoy so much uh, running this podcast, doing it every week. And we also really love interacting with listeners, and we do that in a big way as we record each new episode. We have this Discord, which is a Patreon-exclusive benefit, and we can see everybody responding to what we're discussing as we are recording. And it's really awesome because podcasts are so one-way. It's really nice to get real-time feedback. There's many other benefits, including After Dark, and today we're going to be talking about New Year's resolutions. Do we have any this year? And if so, uh, do we feel like we are going to be able to hit them out of the park? And why didn't we hit them out of the park last year? I have a few resolutions in addition to becoming a plant daddy. I thought up a couple others that I'm uh, pretty excited about, and I hope I stick with them this year. So that's available at patreon.com slash millennial. Thank you to our latest patrons, Jordan, Caitlin, Sarah, Alyssa, Miko, Hope I'm pronouncing your name right. Daryl, Reggie, and Laura, not Laura T. So thank you to everybody who pledged recently. We really appreciate mm -hmm. your support. Thank you guys so much. If you want to share any thoughts on today's episode, you can email millennialshow at gmail.com or use the contact form on millennialshow.com. Also, follow us on social media. We are Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And, 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 please listen to this because I don't bring it up enough. We would really appreciate if you took a moment to review Millennial on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to Millennial. We love getting new reviews in there because it helps new listeners discover the show. So thank you. If you can do that in the next couple of weeks, we would really appreciate that. Thank you very much. And last but definitely not least, thank you so much for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. I'm Pamela. And I'm Micah. Bye, everybody.